Lovely to see you all again. Uh, today, Colin and I are going to be talking about dreaming. And as always, we're sharing these episodes now to, I think, both YouTube and podcast. So just in case you want to do a catch up later on during the week, if you want to take us into your cars or into wherever you listen to your podcast too, that would be great. And as always, we also ask you to kindly, if you don't mind just sharing us uh, on social media, help us to spread the word out so that other people can have a watch and listen. Um, Colin, what do you think about dreaming? Um, are we talking about daydreaming or night dreaming? Any dreaming. Okay, so I, I think that we've got a very interesting subject here. And, and what I'd like to do is ask any of you who are with us, um, if you've got any questions, we'll not ask anything, want to contribute anything, please feel free to do so um, throughout this evening. Um, if you're going to be listening to this afterwards, um, dreaming is particularly interesting from a yoga perspective, because yoga breaks the world into four different possible states. And the first is that you've got the wake state. So hopefully you guys, when you're watching this um, or you're listening to this or you're involved with this, you're actually awake. So there's a kind of a, an awake state and you've got this sort of wake state. And then you've also got uh, another state, which is called a sleep state. So you've got a sleep state and a sleep state is thanks to the quality of inertia, we managed to get some sleep. And in between the awake state and also the sleep state, we have something called the dream state. And the dream state is thanks to a quality called rajas, which actually creates some kind of movement in the inertia state. So you actually get dreams. And I'll explain just a little bit more about this later. And then we've got a fourth state. And the fourth state is a state, a meditative like state, it's a different state. Now, what I find really interesting, what I'm going to propose today is something quite different. One is that the sleep state and the meditative state, according to yoga, are actually very similar to one another, but yet opposites. And the awake state and the dream state are very similar to one another, but actually opposites. And this is what I'll come to talk about a bit later. And I'll just kind of, because it, it'll be quite interesting. We kind of break these things out. Um, Stanford. Um, so this is me just introducing it from a yoga perspective. But And feel free to interrupt me anytime you want and just kind of go, hang on a second. What are you talking about? Um, what are you, what's your, where, where, where are you coming from with, with Western? So before we start today, I asked Collins, like, how excited are you about dreaming? He's like, eh. I'm okay. I was like, what's and that intro is like, I'm very excited about dreaming today. So I think from the Western perspective, um, it's a, a, dreaming is basically a state when you are experiencing a succession of imageries, ideas, emotions, sensations that is involuntary. It's happening in your mind, um, obviously, because um, you kind of go into the state of unconsciousness, subconsciousness. Um, the, these activities that happen is um, involuntary, so that's without control, and typically happen, we say, is in the rapid eye movement stage of the sleep. So I'm sure most of you are familiar with how kind of sleep are staged. So they're kind of broken into chunks of or cycles of nine, about 90 minutes. So it kind of starts when you start going into a, a lighter sleep, um, slowly, slowly going into deeper st uh, stages of sleep. And then later on, once you kind of getting towards the end of that 90 minute cycle, you're getting towards the rapid eye movement stage where 
your kind of your eye involuntarily move very very fast where your brain wave actually kind of mimic your awake state so you're experiencing all these ideas emotions sensation imageries that i've talked about and actually almost you are living through certain experience and this kind of cycle happens maybe four maybe five times a night depending on the length of your sleep, sometimes maybe a little bit more. Um, and these REM cycle kind of last about 20, 25 minutes, about 25% of your, uh, your total sleep. So in, in the nights, you kind of go for about uh, quite a long while, uh, almost like a two hours a night if you get about eight hours sleep. And this is why there could have been a lot of dreams that happen in the mind. But I actually want to ask a question. Again, you can do it by show of hand. You don't have to be involved if you don't want to. How many of us actually remembers our dream? Some, good. Nah, yeah. Okay, so a few hands up, a few, meh, maybe, maybe not. And that's actually a um, question I often ask my patients. Do you remember your dreams? Because what I've seems to learn as the years that I have um, studied and also, you know, doing things clinically as, as well as in my research, the longer you sleep, actually, the more likely you will have more dreams because one, the actual period of time of you sleeping um, is lengthened. But also at the beginning part of the sleep, so like the first four to six hours, um, the sleep cycle actually prioritizes resting your body. So you enter more into the deeper states of sleep. Actually, is once you sleep for a little bit longer, you have more proportion of this REM cycle. So actually, when you look at the graph, it's not always very, very symmetrical all the way throughout it. There's actually a slight differentiation where the first four to six hours more about deep sleep, the last two to four hours is more about um, dreaming. So one, if people can remember their dreams, actually tells me rather they're sleeping well or not. And the other part about rather you can remember a dream kind of really depends when you wake up because most people will wake up when you are having a REM cycle because your sleep is slightly lighter. So you get woken up a little bit easier. But also at the same time, if you are woken up, like say by alarm clock, when really, really deep, deep state of sleep, your brain might not actually be dreaming. So you might not actually rem remember it. So that's kind of my intro. Colin, any? I think that's absolutely fascinating because I, I've just what you said to me, it, it almost says that actually very, very similar from yoga's perspective, because you've got this state and you said that the state is an involuntary state. Um, and within yoga, we're looking at um we're looking at this state as being an unbound state. You see, when I've when I'm actually awake in the world, I'm actually awake, I'm actually bound by my senses and bound by the interactions I'm having with the world. Now, the opposite of that is I remove the senses. So the way that I get all the information out in the world is I get all these senses and I get all these impressions and it triggers a lot of patterns for me. It brings up lots of memories. I interact with people in the waking world through a number of things, through my memory and my imagination. Okay, so I'm talking to you and I'm actually, as I'm talking to you, I'm operating through my training over the last 25 years. And as I'm communicating with you, I'm in an awake state, 
I'm relying on my imagination. I'm relying on my memory to construct all these different things. And as you say something, I miss things of what you're saying because I jump into my memory in the past. And also I'm wondering what to say in the future. So I jump forwards and construct something using my imagination and creativity in the future. So this is an awake state. Now, imagine if I shut my senses off and then I have all this activity that goes on inside without the senses. So we start to classify dreams as being this state, which is a state where we have memory, where we have imagination, where we have patterns, where we have impressions, where we have all these things that start to play themselves out, but they're in an unbound place. It means that actually the rules that are applied here are not the same rules that are applied within reality. And for me, the interesting thing and why it's kind of interesting talking about dreaming is that we start to look at perspectives of reality um, and how we're looking at reality and, you know, whether whether we're actually awake or whether we're actually dreaming. And I'll come into this again in a second. But does that make any sense? So I kind of agree with what you're saying, Stanford. Yes. And I, I, I do wonder in your explanation of how the senses is jump between the actual sens sensations, like your hearing, your sight, mm. to your memory all the time. What happens mm. to the senses when you jump back to your memory? Do they carry on operates? Does the, what actually happened or what you sense leave an imprint? Well, what happens is that I jump and as I jump back, I actually miss something. And then what I do is I then construct, I actually create and I use my memory and imagination to construct the thing that I missed. So I believe that I've actually experienced it. I know what you're going to say and what you've experienced. And I build that bit in. And it's why actually the true state of reality is in meditation. So meditative state is a true state of reality, according to yoga. It's like, that's true reality, not the waking state, not the dream state, but also the sleep state, which is the very, very similar, but opposite, because actually the senses are not involved there at all. And there's no activity within the mind. But in the meditative state, what's happening is that the senses are not involved and there's no activity of the mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you can see how all these start to pair up in, in, in yoga's perspective. The reason why I ask that is because actually um, as part of my learning and research for this webinar, I have to read Sigmund Freud's Interpretation of Dream. And he yeah. actually gave, I know, it's, it's a very long book, so I, I'm still getting there. Um, but he actually gave quite a few examples where clinical case study that he has people are dreaming in such vivid details about something that they think is memory, but they actually don't recollect. Mm -hmm. But then later on in about like after a month or two or a few weeks or so on, they actually then can confirm those details. Uh, and actually these are things that has happened to them. Say one of them, I think is about a book that the clients or the patients um from the case that he has given to his sister from a long while back and there was someone else that they had met along the way um that he used to know as a kid so these are almost like the moments that you just described where the person jumped back in the memory and they kind of just got distracted in reality where these memories or these 
imprints, like I'll call them imprints, so it'll be slightly less confusing. These imprints become subconscious and unconscious. Because I think mm. in psychiatry and psychology, we talk a lot about dream interpretation in the sense that it's, it's a way to assess uh, our subconscious and unconscious. So that's why I was wondering how much of it is actually kind of real memory that we just missed or how much of it is um, kind of we make up in yoga's perspective, or you can say there's no perspective. Well, there's actually a number of ideas around this, which I think we'll, we'll come to. So there's probably about three or four different ideas, but the idea here of recurring dreams is kind of interesting because actually what starts to happen is that we, we I'm speaking to a lady recently and um, she's got this ongoing recurring dream that occurs and actually she has two very solid ones and they've happened to her for the last 18 years. And one of it's to do with protecting her siblings. So it's, it's where she she comes out and she's got this recurring dream and it, it forms in different ways, but she's always the protector of her siblings. And then she's got another one, which is to do with um, defending herself in inappropriate situations. And so it, 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 this is this is constant loop and this constant pattern of these things that are playing out through the actual dreaming process. And she remembers it. And it's kind of like a recurring dream. And so for me, there is a, in this situation, there's a very strong link between a number of the underlying, and this becomes interesting about what yoga is saying about dreaming, is how you use dreaming to understand yourself, because it's not actually the dream itself. It's actually the underlying pattern that the dream is actually presenting. And I'll explain just a little bit more about that a little later. But um, it's why, why you're talking about this, this Sigmund Freud and this kind of recurring dreams, these missing stuff and stuff like this. And I find it really interesting when we start to look at case studies and what people say with, you know, with their dreams, you know, whether they're recurring dreams or whether they're actually they're kind of like, you know, there's dreams. Any of you guys had dreams where you've kind of flown downstairs, you know, that kind of flying type dreams. Do you know those ones? Or there's other dreams where people feel they're having their teeth pulled out. Some of you, has anyone had those dreams? No? Um, what about, so, so you guys, what about anxious dreams? You know, when you kind of, you have those anxious dreams. Anyone have anxious dreams? Yes, there's a couple of people going, yeah, I get anxious dreams. <laughs> um, so what yoga starts to do is that it starts to look at the pattern and the rhythm of all these things. It's starting to look at, um, Dreams that we classify as anxious, dreams that we classify as violent, dreams that dreams that we classify as calm and peaceful. It starts to look at whether we have recurring dreams. It starts to look at what the themes are within these dreams. And within the matrix of us being awake, us dreaming, us having very deep sleep, and us being in meditative states, is to start to understand our relationship in these four different areas. And to understand how we start to process things in and through our dreams. Does that make sense, Stanford? Yeah. So what, what when you say that dreams are how how do you go again? Dreams are very similar to being awake, but opposite. What does that mean? Well, when we're awake, what happens? I, I feed the mind with information. Yeah. So I wake, I feed the mind, it fires up patterns, doesn't it? 
So it fires up patterns, it fires up memory, it fires up imagination. In the dream state, the senses aren't fed anymore. Um, there's just the latencies, there's just the impressions of the experiences that we've had that are rattling around in this dream space that we actually create. Because I think it, 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 it comes, we, our mind creates a dream state. And within that dream state, it has dream objects. And then also we have dream activities that occur as well. And we also have a dream self. So in a way, it's kind of interesting. So we, we actually, the mind starts to create these things, in this unbound place. It creates this dream state and it's got these dream objects and it's got these dream activities and it has this dream self. And it creates this, it uses the power of imagination unbound by the outside world, actually unbound by the outside world. And what I find very interesting is we leave all of this behind when we wake. That's very interesting because I was going to ask you about lucid dreaming later on. So yeah, lucid dreaming. That's a very interesting idea. <laughs> um, for those of you that don't know about lucid dreaming, lucid is, is when you actually have enough clarity and power that you're able to interrupt your dream and change the outcourse of the dream. Yeah. And there are a lot of psychologists who kind of do research about it. Is they, they put the definition, as Colin said, is about the dreamers being aware when they're dreaming, the objects actually disappear after they're waking. Physical law typically doesn't apply and is kind of distorted. Again, kind of if you have seen Inception, that's basically kind of it. And the dreamers have a clear memory of the waking world, which is why I'm saying it's, that's the interesting part, because that almost kind of breaches the p um the the the, the um, not the rule but the the statement that you just made about how dream um people typically leave what they have dreamt behind once they're waking i think lucid dreaming kind of just breached that border a little bit and is that any um text or any teaching on rather is a good state is it a bad state is it a good thing to train for is it not a good train thing to train for um so the reference on this is yoga sutra chapter 138 um, which talks about, um, it, it says that the inquiry into the relationship between your sleep and your dreams. Now, what this is, is that it's the inquiry into the relationship between your sleep and your dreams, which I find interesting because in that point there, it's thinking about dreaming as a state of mind. And it's a state of mind that teaches you rather than the dream itself that's teaching you. So actually what you're doing is that when you're looking at dreams, it's actually you're looking at the state of mind associated with the dream to teach you. So that's, this for me is the yoga reference point with this. In Ayurveda, it's also very interesting is that Ayurveda looks and talks about different constitutions and different types of dreams. And why this for me becomes very interesting is that actually when we look at lucid dreaming, which I think you know you want to discuss, and changing the outcomes of dreams, is that you can put an intervention into a dream which actually can be, let's say, you can use something like water with fire 
or you can use something like grounding with air. So if someone's flying through air, you can actually, and you're very frightened of flying so fast through air, you can create a situation where you can be supported or land in a comfortable way. So to understand the Ayurveda behind it and to understand the intervention of that could be interesting, but this, I know it's something that we'll come to discuss again in a second. Um, so when we're looking at understanding dreams, it's almost a little in exactly the same way that we understand our way of operating in the world, in the waking state. So it's like, you know, when you turn around to someone, and you say to them, well, why did you do that? And they could turn around and go, I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. So the first thing is we don't take responsibility because we don't take responsibility for what's going on within the whole of the dream things. Or we try and overanalyze it and allocate it to different things rather than actually look at what can we actually learn from it? What's our responsibility within it? And also begin to uh, begin to unpick it as well because if we start to unpick it we can understand where a particular trigger comes from when we start to take responsibility and the same is true within a dream is that there'll be a particular trigger and a particular pathway of patterning that's occurring within a dream so if you think about one of the purposes for dreaming is to process the impressions of everything that's happened during the day okay that's one of the basis of it. However, it will start to emulate different routes and different patterns of processing, like we do during the day. So what do I do? I have a situation which is very tough emotionally during the day. What do I do? Do I suppress it? Do I say something about it? Do I turn around and avoid it? Do I run away? Do I get angry? In a dream, we take similar routes, even though they're unbound, we take similar patterns and routes when we go working with our dreams. So we have to be able to unpick the routes that we're taking. What is it trying to tell us? How are we taking this route? Why are we taking this route? Does it lead to more anxiety? Is it actually we wake up and go, I've worked it all out. Why was I so anxious about this whole thing? You know, it, it's all there within the way that we kind of process, process our dreams. But we have to look at it in exactly the same way that we come to look at our waking state, because they're the opposites, but one is unbound. Does this make any sense? Yes, and I think that that's a um, similar yet different perspective too. I think a lot of the um, psychoanalytical schools suggested, because I think in the beginning, in the Western psychology, it suggests dreaming as almost like a fulfillment or a wish that is to be fulfilled in the dream realm where especially I think like Freud did a lot of that um, suggestion where it's about self-improvement. There's some fun, some people who lack a certain things in life or they perceive that they lack a certain things in life and they will um, kind of wishing that something will happen, wishing it will come true, kind of like in the Disney movie happens in your dreams. But then I think over time, people, some people dispute it, some people add it onto it, which comes into saying that actually it is part of a way for us to process emotions and memories and whatever we've been through during the day. 
because technically speaking, we don't we still don't understand that much about dreaming and why it happens and what's the purpose of it and function of it in in the in the Western psychology. There are a lot of theories, but there's that there are not a unifying um, explanation just yet. <laughs> but I think this processing is very. Um, one, it sounded very true to my own experience uh, with dreaming, because kind of whatever I have experienced during the day, I'm more likely to process those in my dream in the night. But also, if you are kind of contradicting Colin a little bit about how you don't have your senses operating in your sleep or in your dreams, I find that, let's just say, that's one recurring dream that happens every time if my foot hang off or my hand hang off the bed, I will always have the falling dream because it's the physical sensation that actually prompted that pattern that will happen in my body. And that I'm not the only one, apparently. So there are people who say having chronic pain, such as like burn victim, they're more likely to have... Um, painful dreams or they have the painful sensation in their dreams uh musicians uh compared to non-musicians they're more likely to hear sound people who are more vivid in their imaginations or working with color like a painter they're more likely to dream in colors so uh as um as composed uh, compared to uh dreaming in black, black and white apparently so there, there are things that where i think the sensation or the senses actually contribute to the dreams as well and in some way i sometimes see that as our brain spending that time processing these kind of either overload or too much of a stimulation that you can't process in your awake states. You have to kind of do it in your sleep, in your dream states as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of similar. So I, agree, but yes, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with the processing aspect of it. Definitely. In yoga, dreams are not real. They're not real and they're not reality. So they're saying, yoga is saying that dreams are not real and they're not reality they they only seem to be real at the time of dreaming so at the time of dreaming they actually they appear to be real to the dreamer so it's a little like a daydream you know that daydream it's like the daydream is kind of like you're looking out the window there's a fantasy of this this and this it's this kind of there's a disconnect from reality there's a disconnect from the projected world that we're currently awaken. And the same is true in a dream, is that almost in a way that what's happening within the dream is that there is this, you know, it appears at the time that you're dreaming to be real, even though in a lucid dream, you realise that you're actually dreaming so that you're able to then take charge of the dream in that lucid dream state. But in a normal dream state, what occurs is that you don't you, you you believe that what you are dreaming is real. Yeah, lucid dreaming is when you're aware. And I'm just going to take it in a slightly philosophical angle because it's so interesting when you say dreaming is not real. That that just mm -hmm. made me think. It's like, but in a lot of way, philosophically speaking or psychologically speaking, reality. I'm not saying from a yoga perspective. I'm saying from the other one. Uh, reality is the one that we can perceive. That is the reality within our mind. That you know, the one that you can perceive is your reality, and that's why often we argue with people because our perceived reality is different. Everyone perceives things differently, and and it's so interesting because there's an old Chinese fable which you probably have heard about it before. It's uh, someone called Zhang Zhao. 
he, in one of his famous stream, he dreams that he's a butterfly and the butterfly gone on to this like amazing adventures through fields of flowers, water, whatever it may be. And he keep dreaming that he is a butterfly to the states where in his dream, the butterfly start thinking, am I actually a butterfly dreaming to be a person? Or am I the person dreaming to be a butterfly? Where, where kind of that line of reality really breach and, and I can become blur. And I think that, again, I take how you will from this story, but I think that really screams out one of the biggest quality of dream is, as you said, it really feels real. It really feels um, that the belief is definitely there, that the experience is definitely there. Because even with our senses, it still works, apparently, because people have done study on a like brain scan study on dream dreamers, where if you put a, um, probes and electrodes on their head, if they dream about something that's musical, the primary auditory uh, cortex will be firing up. Same as if you have something visual, then the visual cortex will be so on and so forth, the sensory and all the different senses. So actually, as far as our brain and mind concern, it is real. I love the metaphor you just used there, because it's this metaphor that is very symbolic. The metaphor of going, being asleep and becoming awake moving from a dream state to an awake state, moving from an awake state, which is our projected existence in the world, one that we actually construct, to a very real state about who we truly are. So these metaphors are, are, are kind of used because it, it's like you say, am I a man dreaming to be a butterfly or a butterfly dreaming to be a man? The, these kind of, these are the sort of things within within philosophy that they come to look at because you know when you're dreaming you you know you think and the thinking is an activity of the mind it, you think that you're awake but yet you're actually in the dream and in the dream state the objects that you are all those objects that you are actually encountering and the activities that you're doing are actually in your consciousness they're actually as you're saying in your in your consciousness um, yet at the time of the dream, they appear to be outside of you. And, you know, that is really, really interesting. So it, almost in a way that what's happening within that perspective, within the dream, is that you've got these activities, you've got all this stuff, but they, they're they in your consciousness, but they appear to be outside of you within your consciousness. Just Does that make any sense? Yeah. So how how is dreaming and meditation similar yet opposite then? Sorry, how's how's dreaming and meditation similar yet opposite? Is that what you said? No, they're not. So meditation is is reality. So the basis of meditation is that is to get the relationship with yourself and relationship with the world in a coherent way so there is a reduction of projection because you've only got two different relationships and within these two different relationships you're looking to reduce the projection you have about yourself and reduce the projection you have about the world but in a deep sleep state there's no projection you're very close to your consciousness there's no activity in meditative state there is limited activity and you're very close to your consciousness as well, but you're engaged fully. So these two pair up with one another. Now, in an awake state, 
you and I are bantering, we're talking about things, we're, we're looking at different philosophies and different ways that, that are looking at dreaming. We're using our imagination, we're using our memory, we're having to listen to things, we're having to process stuff, we're having to communicate. And this is in a structured way. In our dreams, exactly the same. We're taking all these impressions, we're actually processing them, we're using, so these two are opposites, does that make sense? They're similar but opposite. Similar but opposite, thank you. So let's say, because today when I saw a patient, um, just a bit of background, she uses alcohol. There's a family history of substance um, misuse. Mm. And she recently has um, had a birth. So, And she was talking a lot about her dreams, a recurring dream that she has, which is when the child grows up, um, she will start drinking. The child will start drinking. Um, so they both drink together. And then she wanted to stop and she wanted the child to stop but the child would turn around and say I won't because you're still drinking too and she kind of asked me what that meant and one of my interpretation was maybe that's part of your fear coming up where you think this may be a possibility um just sitting here when I was reflecting on things earlier on I thought oh that's another possibility which is she actually see herself in the child in a dream and and herself in a dream as is actually someone from her, her family, maybe her parents who also misuse substance. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I didn't know what much else to say to her. Would you, what direction would you have taken for someone like that? One of the most difficult things that we find and one of the biggest battles that we have is that that we have a relationship with the genetics that are within us. And we fight against being our parents or being our grandparents or our great-great-grandparents or the patterns that they hold within us. And for me, one of the biggest questions within this is when we start to look at birth children and the handing on of patterns, is it in some instances very much so is that a pattern can move in this way. It can be handed on. It can be as part of the actual material itself. Or it can be a pattern that is learned, it's copied. And sometimes what we have to do is actually reassure people and to tell them actually that it's not necessarily the case that this is going to happen because it isn't necessarily the case, because actually it's a power of our imagination. And it's also, like you say, it's the, the, the fear that's actually combined very strongly within this dream. So you've got the imagination, you've got the fear, you've got the anxiety, but you've also got the guilt as well. And you've all of this are going to play out through the relationship that this mother starts to have with the child. And I think that, thank you, that that is very helpful and illuminating as always. I will definitely think about that next time I see this patient. But I think that was one of the situations that I come across a lot because I, I do I do ask a lot of my, uh, about dreaming with my patients because as I said earlier on, I want to find out about their sleep. I want to see if there's any recurrent nightmare, especially because 
some of the time, especially in my field of work, it can signify there are things like post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, where there's recurring and very intrusive nightmares, or sometimes they even come at, come back as flashback. But sometimes what I find difficult is actually interpreting dreams that is not to the quality of PTSD. It's, it's, it's the psychology in work and how much or how little should I really intervene because linking a little bit to what we talked about, about lucid dreaming earlier on, mm. I am in the school of believing that dream is very much our subconscious and unconscious um, in play and kind of being really, really active. And sometimes I felt that is around that one, I may not have as much experience in and two, everyone operates in such a different level. Because like I think Freud in his book said, basically everyone dreams differently depending on their gender, depending on their age, depending on where they come from, what they've been through that day. So everyone's subconscious and unconscious are operating in such a different level, you will dream differently. And for us to start kind of interpreting, I'm less worried about under-interpreting, I'm more worried about over-interpreting. I felt like it needs to be... so skillfully and so carefully navigated. Me too. I, I, I think that there is too much over-interpretation of dreams. This is my feeling. So, and I think that actually it's a little more complicated than, it, you know, you're flying down the stairs. It actually means this, this, and this. You know, you work in psychiatry where you have people who have because one of the things is if people don't dream, sometimes it's a psychiatric disorder. You know, it, it, it really is. There's an issue with regard to what's going on. They're, you know, suppressing lots of different things. They don't dream. It's, it, it's There's a whole load of stuff going on there. So there's a psychiatric aspect to it as well. So, you know, when I'm talking to you, I know that you, you know very full, you know full well what you're saying, what you're doing. Just a touch. I know. Um, but for me, I start to unpick it ever so slowly because the patterns that people present out into the world are quite often very linked to the patterns they present within their dreams as well so the fears in the world and the fears in their dreams even though there's an unbound world within dreams the two often are quite connected with one another and I also ask a lot about what's gone on during the day beforehand when they wake at night you know do they wake when you know what what happens what do they eat because quite often sometimes what we eat affects dreams sometimes what we drink affects dreams and actually you know I know people and I've come across people within the clinics that I've done as I'm sure you have that have to drink a couple of bottles of something in order to get to sleep and not dream because they don't want to dream at all you know and I know that Stanford you've come across people like this so it, it means that I'm always asking questions like this i'm asking to want to understand what people eat what food they have you know is it heavy fried food with a lot of alcohol is it you know what emotions happen in the day what are they avoiding what are they actually what haven't they looked at i'm looking at the activities that they've done as well you know are they exhausting themselves out before they go to bed in order not to dream or not to do something so they just collapse and then they can wake up what sort of energy or they get to bed with a huge amount of energy so I start to ask lots of questions because I need to understand a number of things because everyone has rituals. Everyone has a sort of set series of rituals that they do in order to firstly cope with life and secondly in order to process. And dreams are one way that I see that we 
play things out, that we get solutions for things, that we process things if we allow it to happen. But also if we if we are weak and passive, they can overtake us and they can overtake our world. Yeah. And as Colin said, there are certain psychiatric or physical health issues that's associated with lack of dreaming. Because first of all, I think it goes into criteria that you don't remember dreaming or you don't record dreaming, but at the same time, your sleep is not refreshed. They usually go hands in hands and that then it kind of signify um, that you have some sort of physical or mental health issues. If you just simply can't remember a dream, maybe there are other reasons such as you just say your alarm clock and you're waking up in the non-REMS part of your sleep. So things like sleep disorder, insomnia, uh, sleep apnea, these are the things that can affect the lack of dreaming. Because obviously, as I said earlier on, if your body's not really rested enough, then it kind of your sleep wouldn't get to the states where your brain or your eye movement go to a state where you can achieve the unpacking emotional processing parts of the sleep either. Um, so the emotional disorders of like depression, bipolar disorder, or anxiety, sometimes that can provoke lack of a poor sleep quality as well as lack of dreaming, um, PTSD, certain dissociation uh, or dissociative substance like alcohol, certain drugs that can cause lack of um, dreaming as well. So, but on the other side, apparently a lot of different hormonal changes. So it's usually quoted in early pregnancy. Now, rather if that's just hormonal changes or because there are different anxiety and stress in life, because pregnancy often can provoke anxiety and stress at different in a different way, uh, can cause more dreamings or different type of dreaming as well. So these are the certain few kind of personal factors that we can look at. But there's also collective factor, as Colin have said, because I think human being, humankind has in, been interpreting dreams ever since the beginning, because I think the earliest reference I've got is like Babylo um, ba Babylonians and Samarians. So these are like a few millennium BC. Um, apparently, back in the days, there are a lot more... Um, um, what they call visitation dreams. So I think back in the Asian Egypt, Mr. Um, I can't spell and uh, speak about this properly. Mesopotamia. Mesopotamian. Thank you. Mesopotamian. <laughs> Sorry. That uh, there's a lot more visitation dreams where there's a figures uh, coming to the dreamers' um, dreams and talking about a specific action or a specific prophecy is a lot more pro um, prominent. And I think maybe the Bible and a few religious texts is probably uh, evidence of that. Apparently, since the 1950s, there are a lot more flying dreams, which and also UFO dreams. Uh, apparently, that is correlated to technology change. So I think that there is a certain theme going on where because there, there are people who talk about collective dreaming as well. I think a certain um, world events or world cultural shift or changes can change how we dream as well. I can't really find anything regarding the pandemic and dreaming, but if I find anything, I will keep everyone posted. I, I really like what you said there with regard to um, an evolution or changes in dreaming and almost sort of, spiritual dreams and we've moved from kind of spiritual dreams to sort of very fear-based anxious worried concerned dreams it's interesting it's really interesting and you can also see the kind of this 
the also the evolution with regard to meditation yoga practices you know from very spiritual practices right the way through down to yoga therapy now which is prominent just dealing with the issues that we've got rather than going on a spiritual journey so i find that really interesting also on that on that note i wonder in in yoga and ayurveda perspective is there anything about communication between dreamers because i often hear a lot um usually are people who practice lucid dreamings or people who have very very vivid dreams they sometimes talk about sharing the same dreams so i i do wonder is that kind of what we just talked about is more like a collective dreaming or um or something that's very vivid that they kind of felt like they shared the experience or is there any communications in dreams at all not within dreams but in meditation so in a meditative state where there is not the activities of the mind or the projections that are going on there is an underlying connectivity to what you're actually linking with independent of the direction you're linking with you will get information back so you create a link and you get something back from that link this is a meditative process so rather than focusing on something and understanding it from actually linking with it you actually link with it hold it in a light way and you get a lot of information back and let's say within a meditative state or a lucid dream state which maybe i don't know very much about this um, but within a state if you were focusing in the right way, I'm sure a lot of information would come back to you. Yeah, so maybe they are in a so this shows the difference. This is the movement from focusing. So from focusing, like if you're focusing on a patient, you're asking lots of questions, you're, you know, you're discovering lots of things about them. But if you meditate on a patient, they walk in, you just know something straight away, all the information comes straight to you. And this is the difference between the two things. One is that you can be the best doctor or you can ask so many questions. And the other is that you can be the most fantastic doctor because you everything comes to you, but then you ask all the questions so that you get the best relationship with the patient. So either way, I like asking a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I, I, I'm very, very intrigued about dream, like sharing dreams, and I couldn't find much... Um, like proper research about that so i i'm i'm but there are certain phenomena that we knows a lot so like dream illusion dream hallucination there are very known phenomena I, I do sometimes wonder if that's a certain similarity between the two and just to explain so the difference between illusion and hallucination is kind of basically slightly abnormal um perception of one or more senses illusion is when there is actually uh, a sensation uh, that's actually stimulants so, so kind of so you can say me sleeping and having my foot hanging off the the bed there's actual sensation that my foot is dropping it's not well supported but then my perception is that i'm falling off flights of stairs or from an airplane or whatever else i'm falling off from in my dream sometimes a bridge i think um hallucination when is when there is no stimuli when there's no actual thing that's stimulating you so that's the slight difference but it's a very 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 common phenomenon like i gave my example for <laughs> um of illusion 
but hallucination people do have a lot of that when they kind of just about enter the dream state so we call these hypo, uh, hypnagogic hallucination or when they're just exiting the dreaming state which is hippopompic hallucination i think this is where the state are changing transitioning which colin loves to talk about transitions um they, they actually a lot of time can create these kind of illusion of hallucination as well Oh. I don't know anything about this. The reason being is that, I'll be honest, because yoga is only concerned with reality. That's its, and, and, the, and getting the experience in reality. So what yoga does is it's just looking at the experience of reality and concerned with this. And it, it uses everything else to support this. So it's looking at, okay, how can I use dreams? or what's happening within the dream to support my evolution, to have a better relationship in reality. So it's kind of interesting, whereas quite often the focus could be for someone else is to actually focus very much on the dream state and going into all these different areas of the dream state in order to actually maybe avoid reality. Um, I don't know, or maybe to, That's the question for me. So maybe it's not always good to have your dreams come true? Well, maybe it could be. Because dreams are a very, very interesting area. Because what, what, what is it with dreaming? When we talk about things like dreams come true, what is it when we talk about having sweet dreams? You know, because there's a whole series of rituals that people do to, in order to, you know, we kiss children goodnight. We say, you have sweet dreams. You know, we set things up in particular ways, like we get hot cups of milk with saffron in, and we, you know, we have nice smelling flowers, and we do various different things in order to have sweet dreams. We want that kind of those sweet dreams. And we want people's dreams to come true as well, because, you know, dreams are filled with hope in some ways as well, aren't they? Well, I think for the dreams to come true is kind of what I, what, what, what Freud have said which is kind of where there's certain unfulfilled wish or desire and they want those to come true. And I think that's tend to be a natural propensity for people that I've met. Um, in terms of sweet dreams, I do I do wonder, because I think when people talk about dream, or I do it myself a lot of the time, we, I often talk about it in as if it's in a different realm. And there's almost a sense of escaping into that realm. And I, I'm kind of wishing and hoping or there's a desire that that realm is not going to be as hard as my daily life. I want something to be slightly sweeter. Yeah. And it's interesting because yoga looks at all of these as desire, attachment, and ego. And so it looks at them all and goes, well, actually, is it hurtful to you or not hurtful? And if it's not hurtful, then carry on, do it. You know, but if it actually starts to be hurtful, which is where you put yourself in a situation where you kind of, you have this fantasies and these dreams more and more and more to avoid the, the situation in your life. Or it could be that actually they help you to deal with the situation in your life. And in which case they're useful to you. So I, I think there's a very interesting thing with what you said there and what Freud is saying as well with regard to, you know, desire, especially when they're suffering and desire sleeping in, slip, slipping, sleeping, slipping into dreams. Do you see what I mean? Because it, it's, there's a real kind of difference within this because quite often when we are suffering, we're in pain. 
there, there is a kind of a deep want, a deep desire. There's not just the inertia, there's often a, a desperation to get out of the situation that we're in. Yeah. And I think I think the other thing that I can think about how there should be caveats is when sometimes dream itself can create a certain amount of fear as well, especially when people are afraid that there'll be nightmares. Because again, usually dreaming is involuntary and you can't, it's out of our control. And it's when that fear sets in, um, that is the harder bit to deal with then because people then often would avoid sleeping or uh, kind of maybe, as you said, build ritual about sleeping and then try to dissociate about it a little bit, which is why, again, I think my view on training about dreaming in general has to be slightly more careful because, yes, on one hand, there are a lot of research that seems to suggest, yes, if you are able to kind of have more connection to your dreams, you can kind of wake up your creativity, you have slightly better motor skills. Um, for some people, actually, it can be helpful to overcome nightmares, especially if you can build in very, very carefully certain mechanism of either waking yourself up or navigating through um allowing yourself to know that you are in a dream does you don't need to be fearful of certain memory playing or replaying in your dream however in you've not so skillfully navigated that sometimes actually can provoke even more um mood problems it can actually um worsen certain mental health issues it can actually make people as i said already uh, avoiding dreams as well so there are certain caveats and bad stories that i've heard so i often think kind of like hypnosis or psychotherapy of any kind you want to be guided you don't want to just just do it on your own and just navigating through of it uh, with it especially if there's any underlying issues already because you might want someone just to help a little bit every now and then in case you're straying off to the wrong side Do you think that there needs to be a specific quality of mind in order to do this in place? So in order to work with dreams, if we are, let's say, forceful, angry, desirous, you know, impatient, what, what kind of, almost in a way that we need to prepare to work with dreams first? I would probably say if you are not in the right state of mind, you probably won't be able to work with dreams. Mm. You have to be quite stable and self-reflective, at least to work with dreams. Um, another patient of mine recently who came to my clinic room quite anxious and as you described, quite angry. And as always, as I've said, I asked about her dreams and she got quite angry she got even more angry why am I asking about her dreams and how's that relevant so it took me about a whole five minutes to explain kind of my my process of clinical consultation so yes that even sometimes asking people about their dreams are can be quite triggering when they're not in the right state of mind so I think yes and also for them to begin to ask themselves about their dreams as well you know, and, and for them to begin to investigate their dreams and to see what the dreams hold for them. Because often we only see what we want to see within a dream or within anything within life. Um, you know, we, we really do. You know, we kind of pick it out. So when we're interpreting dreams or we want to create an intervention into a dream, it means that we aren't as involved 
as we could be. Because when we describe a dream as being a state where you believe it's real and you're involved in that reality, which isn't actually a reality, which is an unbound reality, and you're creating those dream objects and that dream activity and those and the dream identity. But to realize all those things without separating and walking away from it and waking up and being able to be involved in it and to start to actually change the outcomes of things in a healthy way, it, it, it takes a good quality of mind. And it also takes someone that has the capacity to be involved and not involved and a lot more awareness, as you're saying. Yeah, I agree. And I think for most of us, I would, I'll be more in the camp that I'll probably keep my dreams in the unconscious or subconscious state. I sometimes reflect on them if I can remember them, but I probably leave them where they are. That, mm. that tends to work better for me. There are some people who like to keep a dream journal, which is quite interesting. And I think noticing your own patterns over time can be quite good. But just like everything, I wouldn't suggest over-interpreting things. What, what happens when people wake up and they don't remember their dream? Is it because actually what's happening is they've processed and they've moved on? Is it because it's a certain part of the sleep cycle? Is it that actually they... You know, there's a difference between their dream realm and their waking realm. Um, that is it that they're just not aware, or is it that the dream wasn't strong enough? What are, are there any? What do you think? I can only speak from personal experience. I think if there's a dream, there's a lot of emotions involved. So it's not just a sensation, but also emotions. It tend to last for a little bit longer. Mm. I think because the memory is created in a space where, because often I don't remember my dreams. So I have, I think my dreams tend not to go down into my long-term memories. They kind of exist in the short-term memory and don't get moved into the long-term memory that often. Mm. And, and we know short-term memory do actually last very, very short-term only. So and well, as soon as we get wake, woken up, we get distracted by a lot of things. Like, what is it like outside? Why am I tired? Where's coffee? Um, where's my uniform, what's for breakfast, where's coffee again, you know. So these thoughts and then the, the sensation that's coming back and can very easily distract you from your short-term memory. And unless that short-term memory is very vivid, I think it's, it's, it's quite likely that they won't get moved into a memory state that you actually can remember later on. So that's kind of my experience, but maybe other people can have exp a different explanation of different ex experience that they want to share, I don't know. <laughs> that, that can i just say thank you so much i can't believe we've just talked for an hour on dreaming um, did we just dream about it i did i'm going to i'm going to tonight um I, what, what's what's the takeaway for the day what's the thing that what's your takeaway from this i think my takeaway is to know the distinction between the four states that you mentioned today was very very useful about the waking meditative sleep and dream that that's good one to bear in mind with you know for me i really loved the evolution of dream interpretation from you know this is just people having visitations and prophecies and 
it's very interesting that you say that because um you know that um that krishnamacharya had a, a dream and he had, in his dream he had this dream that he was going to have a son and he had this dream he said i'm going to have this son and he's going to be called Char. And that's how Desikachar got his name, because it came to Krishnamacharya in a dream. So for me, I really like the evolution of all of this. Thank you, Stanford. I really appreciate what you said. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, everyone, for joining tonight. I believe we are skipping one cycle, because there are certain things on our calendar that can't be moved. So we will resume beginning of October. I will let you know about the topics as soon as we can. Brilliant. Thank you so much to everyone. Um...